you know, when I was growing up, like in college, I, I felt very insecure about my size and, you know, felt very uncomfortable with that. And I just felt like, oh, nobody would ever flirt with me. And, you know, I had this like thin blonde roommate and, you know, I felt like she would just get all the attention. I wouldn't, what I realized years later when I started like actually going on dates and stuff, I was like, oh, people do like me. And I'm like, I guess I kind of just took myself out of it. Like I just decided, I pre-decided. So for anyone else out there who's doing this, stop. <laughs> stop pre-deciding that you're not good enough or that you're not attractive or whatever, because it's not the world giving you that feedback. It's actually you in your own brain doing that. Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms. From inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe, this is Neurons to Nirvana. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm excited to share with you this enjoyable conversation I had with Heather Shannon. Heather Shannon is a sex coach who helps sex and gender diverse clients transform how they feel about their sexuality and achieve deeper intimacy in their relationships. Her approach focuses on what is authentic for the client rather than any one size fits all method. Although we're talking about serious subject matter, we have an enjoyable conversation throughout and make it a serious conversation about the importance of gender identity, but also embracing your sexuality and not being ashamed of it. So please listen to us as we discuss the nuances of embracing both your gender and also your sexuality through fetishes, taboos, and so forth. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Heather. In your opinion, Give your definition of sex addiction. Okay, so I have I have to do like a preface to that answer because the the field of like sex therapy in general is very divided on even the phrase sex addiction. So mm -hmm. you've kind of got one camp that's like this is an addiction, this is a disease. You know, we need twelve step programs for it. We treat it from an addictions model, um, and then you've got other people that look at it more like there's a behavior that might feel problematic and that might be compulsive or out of control, but it's not necessarily a disease. I have to say my personal opinion is like, I don't know that I think we can get hung up on the semantics. <laughs> um, for me, right. for me, if somebody, if it's interfering with areas of people's lives, if it's like, Hey, this is getting in the way of me actually having sex with my partner or this is getting in the way of me showing up to work on time, or <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, I'm like masturbating compulsively. Or if somebody's like, you know, cheating compulsively and like doesn't feel like they can stop, um, then I think it's worth getting help. Regardless of what we call it, it's like, okay, it's definitely time to do something about it so that you don't have to be in that, you know, terrible feeling place ongoing. Right. The thing that I think that's uh, so interesting about this topic is the fact that, for instance, alcohol or drugs, when you have that type of addiction, there's sobriety, right? Right. But who who wants to abstain from total <laughs> abstinence 
and become a nun or a or a monk (laughs) and not have sex i mean for sure both were very viable options but there are 12-step programs for you know there's one called like sex and love addicts anonymous and they find ways to define you know what is abstinence and so while you're right you wouldn't necessarily abstain permanently from sex you would try and abstain from the compulsive elements of it so i think they talk about waiting to like the sixth date or something like that before you have sex with somebody um this by the way this is not my approach (laughs) this is not i wouldn't i would never give someone a number of dates you know i think it's much more important to be in tune with yourself notice how you feel if something is feeling compulsive because you can have sex with someone on the third date and it's not compulsive and you could have sex with them on the 10th date and it is compulsive you know so to me it's more about the qualitative aspect than like picking a number of dates but um but yeah so they do define it and even with other addictive behaviors you know like overeating right same thing it's like you kind of literally have to eat food <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. how do you make it not compulsive? So, you know, there's ways there's ways to do that. Well, so in the program, the sixth day, can you, what, what else is in the, do you know? I'm, again, this, so this is not my approach. <laughs> um, okay. I do have clients who have gone to these programs and I think have gotten some benefit from it. Um, and I think that there's benefit in the community. There's benefit in just accepting, like, here's where I'm at. And I have to get really honest with myself. Um, Where I kind of question the benefit is the identity piece. You know, I think there's a sense of we can feel like damaged goods. Like when we label ourselves, like I'm a sex addict. And it could be like, ooh, like I'm damaged. I'm messed up. (laughs) You know, it's like there's, it's so, it's so loaded. At least, at least for most people it is. And so I'm kind of like, is that helping you? to identify as an addict. And for some of my clients, they're like, yeah, because it does get me honest or whatever. I'm like, okay, cool. And for other people, it's kind of like, you know, maybe not. Maybe I just would rather look at like my behavior and my thoughts and what's going on there and see like what is in my control to change and, you know, accept some imperfection and, you know, make room for being human, but generally, you know, move in maybe more of a mindful direction with it. Do you have a lot of clients that you see that have this issue, sex addiction per se, or in the same yeah. stratosphere? I kind of wound up getting a lot, like right away. So I, I did the um, sexual health certificate program at University of Michigan. And I would say like right away, kind of when I got certified and stuff, it was like, oh, I'm getting a lot of these people who a lot of it's like porn, porn related. So a lot of compulsive masturbation, a lot of compulsive porn use. Um, definitely some online behavior too, like, <clears throat> you know, chat rooms or meeting with people from apps um, or compulsive cheating. So there's, you know, there's a spectrum of behavior. It's been mostly men, um, not entirely, but mostly. And you know, I think it's usually a combination of, you know, you mentioned having a high libido, like of having the high libido, but then also having the negative associations and judgment and some kind of shame and stigma around sexuality. So it tends to be people that have some combination of that. What type of stigmas, if you don't mind? Oh my goodness. So many. <laughs> Where to begin? <laughs> so <Elaborate. laughs> yeah, I mean, Some of it can be around sexual orientation. So it could be like, oh, I'm into people of the same gender and that's 
uncomfortable for me or I'm into trans people or I am just generally not comfortable with my sexuality. A lot of people who maybe have a certain kink, you know, the uh, my most popular TikTok post was about cuckolding. So, you know, that's one that can sometimes carry shame for people. And the idea is that they're kind of getting off on the shame, but then they're also kind of like, ooh, is that messed up that I'm getting off on the shame? And let me let me define cuckolding. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're, yeah you can see my expression. Yeah, your face was saying it all. I've definitely heard of it, but I can't remember what it is. Yeah, so, so and I'll explain um, what my post said too. So there's cuckolding and then there's hot wifing. So both of these would kind of fall under the kink umbrella. The cuckolding is... And I'm just going to say kind of what it traditionally is um, in terms of gender roles. But traditionally, it's where there's, you know, a husband and wife and the husband is getting off on the wife having sex with another guy who is maybe more masculine and, you know, more well endowed and has more sexual prowess. And then the husband can kind of be like, you know maybe participating, maybe being degraded, maybe watching and like feeling inadequate, but feeling kind of like turned on by his inadequacy and like seeing her with this, this other guy with more prowess. So this has become a very popular kink, very popular in porn. You're making, you're making so many <laughs> <Yeah>. faces. <laughs> this has no appeal to me. I mean, yeah. to each his own, I don't judge people for this, but it would, this would be. Yeah. My my father had a statement, and I, I tend to agree. Sex is not a spectator sport. Mm, interesting. <laughs> I'm not into voyeurism, mm. and I'm not into. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly. Uh, I've watched porn, plenty of it, uh, over the years from adolescence up, and I don't think I like to share. So right, <laughs> like not for everybody. I'm, I'm not. I don't want to judge people. I just it, it would. I can't. Yeah, no, I can't see myself doing that. And but. To your point, like, I don't want to shame anybody if right. that's what they, you're not hurting anyone mm -hmm. physically or emotionally, mm -hmm. then okay. Yeah. But that one seems really tricky to me. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's, again, it's very common, but you have to have a, everyone on board, you know? And I think that's where, exactly. that's what I'm saying. That's where it can get tough. And I think people can have a lot of, um, understandably like hesitation to share it with their female partner like hey this is a thing I've been fantasizing about but like like would you ever even consider doing this you know and then um that can be tough especially if that's someone's you know primary kink and they don't feel like they can ever kind of get it met so there's a lot of reasons but yeah so that would be maybe a shame or stigma one I would say any kink in general I mean people People can be into anything. So sometimes people are really comfortable with their kinks and sometimes they're not. I would also say, I mean, the, the drinking behavior is one I mentioned. So sometimes people can have, you know, shame over not remembering things. Um, sometimes people can have shame from, you know, being abused or having other sexual trauma just about their sexuality in general. You know, I think women are typically kind of taught not to be as sexual or that, you know, like men should be sexual and, you know, men are only after one thing, though, and don't give it to them. And, you know, you should be <laughs> pure right. and whatever. Um, so, I mean, there can be shame and stigma around that. Body shame and stigma. You know, I think like mm -hmm. I would almost say like probably all of us have some sort of like body. You know, no one thinks they're perfect usually. So, you know, most people have some body insecurities, sometimes shame and stigma, you know, if it gets more severe, but 
Yeah. So that's, that's one of my main focuses is helping people just like, let's just accept who you are sexually, whatever that looks like, and get rid of the shame and stigma. If you don't mind me asking and sharing with the listeners, what do you think it is that draws people to something like cuckolding, like their background, their upbringing? Is, is, do you see any patterns or behavioral traits? or? I, I don't see anything... I think we're going to find out more about sexuality in coming years, you know, but it's like attraction in general is sometimes hard to explain. I do think with the compulsive sexual behavior that there are often people who come from, you know, a certain background that's maybe more sexually conservative. Um, plus they have the higher sex drive. And so I think it's like that combination, but with the cuckolding, I don't know that it would be anything in particular. Um, I think it could be maybe a part that feels not good enough. I think there's usually that component at least where there's a part that feels inadequate or, you know, identifies as being less than. And sometimes I think kink and sex are an area where those parts of us that often get exiled, that's, I can get more into internal family systems, which talks about exiled parts. But those parts that get exiled, I think kink and sex can often be an area where they actually get to come out to play and actually experience some pleasure and joy. And I think that's part of what's happening with cuckolding. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. What about sexual taboos in general? Oh, yeah. Well, for sure. So cuckolding is definitely going to be a taboo. And I mean, one of the like main cornerstones of what's erotic is stuff you're not supposed to do. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I definitely think cuckolding has a lot of appeal. In that regard, because it's like, oh, you're supposed to be married and that's monogamous and you're supposed to want to be the only guy. And the fact that you'd want someone else to have sex with your wife is like, you know, not what you're told to do. Exactly. What are the, some of the other taboos that you encounter with your clients and discuss? Yeah, well, OK, so I'll get into the variation <clears throat> of cuckolding that's called hot wiping. So that's one where the husband's not necessarily getting off in the shame element. He just likes how sexual his wife is. Like he just likes more of, it's a little bit more of the voyeuristic element, but it's also uh -huh. just like, look at her. It's amazing. And she's insatiable. And, you know, and I think, <laughs> I think that's yeah. playing a little bit more against the, okay. the societal role of like what women are supposed to be like with sex to just be like, she's wild and free and she can't be satisfied with just one man. So a lot of people like that. Certainly power dynamics, you know, like that's a common one. I'm trying to think like, I mean, exhibitionism and voyeurism for sure are going to get into that taboo stuff. It's kind of like you're supposed to keep your clothes on. <laughs> um, so I think that gets into some of the, the taboos. Um, yeah. So there's plenty of ways to keep yourselves entertained. What's considered an addiction or compulsive? What's the difference? I think it's just different words for the same thing, but I think it is when it gets into the other thing with the porn realm is cost, right? So like it can interfere with your own love life. It can start taking up a lot of time, but then it can also have a financial impact. So if someone's paying for porn, if somebody is, you know, interacting with cam girls or, you know, web performers of any gender, you know, that can get into a financial issue too and cause relationship problems or shame issues around the spending, even more so than yeah. the sexual behavior. So yeah, that that one can get tough. But a lot of times people feel like, like I'm spending money for this or I'm spending all this time on, on it or, 
you know, then it gets into like, I need to come as fast as I can before I spend too much money. And then they're like, this isn't even fun at a certain point. And I think that's actually when we get into the compulsive territory, when it stops being so fun and you find yourself just kind of like doing it anyways. It's just hollow. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like there's this autopilot thing maybe that's taken over a little bit. And with your expertise, I mean, how often are these people, your clients uh, that you see or encounter watching porn a day or how many times are they masturbating and so forth? You know, it varies a lot. Um, and I think it depends. Like some people come to me and like maybe they've gone to a 12 step program already or, you know, they've been trying to cut back um, and focus on other areas of life. But yeah, sometimes it's like three hours. Maybe someone's masturbating for three hours and it's, you know, messing with their sleep or they're spending, you know, hundreds of dollars a month and they're like, oh gosh, this is like not great for my budget. So it's yeah. sometimes it's the time spent. Sometimes it's just the behavior. Sometimes it's the cost. Sometimes it's more the shame. Sometimes someone goes for a while without doing it and then they, you know, have more than one orgasm and, and then they're kind of like their, their spouse wants to have sex and they're kind of like, uh, I can't cause I'm kind of like out of juice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, I mean, so that's something that happens too. So I would say like any of those things can become an issue. And what's the breakout of men to women? Do you, do you do couples therapy too? Yeah. So I do about like half, half of my work with individuals, half with couples right now. Um, I'm also um, building a group program out for women, but yeah, with, what do you think? Since moving to sex therapy, since, you know, kind of embracing that specialty, it's probably close to 50, 50 men and women. It used to be a little bit more women. Are you seeing differences in issues? Oh, by yeah. Gender? Oh, yeah. <laughs> How do they differ by gender? I do get more of the addictive compulsive behavior with men, for sure. And I also get a lot of erectile dysfunction with men. With women, I get a lot. Well, that's, I mean, <laughs> if erectile dysfunction, that's a male's problem now. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't get that with sure. women. <laughs> yeah, of course. But with women, <laughs> with women, what are you saying? I get a few things. Low libido. I get people who are single and wanting to explore sexuality. There's like a whole segment of people that I would say it's like after a breakup or after a divorce, kind of similar to what my personal experience was where it's like, okay, like I'm free now. I'm not having like this, you know, kind of vanilla or kind of boring sexual experience that's not doing or a lack of sex. A lot of people... And that actually applies to men too. So, you know, a lot of times people get out of a relationship and they're like, all right, I've been attracted to women and I need to explore my bisexuality or like, you know, my marriage didn't let me explore any kink. And like, I'm going to start going to all the dungeons out there and, you know, see, <laughs> see what's up, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I think that like, that's what, that's what people get into. And they're kind of like, you know, how do I how do I navigate this kind of new territory? And I think especially for women, you know, how do I do it safely? The women that you see that have high libidos, are you helping them so they don't feel any sort of shame about their yeah. sexuality? Yeah. Okay. Actually, I had a great chat with uh, a client a few sessions ago where we kind of talked about like, you can be religious or spiritual and highly sexual, you know, and that those aren't 
they don't have to be opposite things. Like people are complex. It's like we can be all of it. So it's like you can be a volunteer and you can go to church and you can have integrity and values and morals and have sex with someone on the first date and have sex with two people on the same weekend. You know, it's like they're not they're not opposites. So I think just starting to like deprogram ourselves a bit that you were made this way. It's not like your fault that you have a high libido or something. It's not like it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's like, I kind of ask people, I'm like, well, you're having fun. (laughs) Like, are you enjoying it? Like, do you kind of regret it otherwise? You know, and if the answer is no, it's like, well, no, I actually wouldn't regret it otherwise. If I didn't feel this kind of like background guilt from my religious upbringing, then then I'm kind of like, well, then just maybe give yourself permission to just like go ahead and enjoy it. On the other hand, if someone's like, yeah, I'm having casual sex or I'm having a lot of sex and like I just feel empty and I'm not having any boundaries and it feels, you know, kind of depleting to me and, you know, no one cares, then that's a different, that's a different experience. So I really go by how is the client feeling and what is their actual experience? I'm not, I'm not a one size fits all sex therapist, you know, it's like got to find, find what works for you. I'll put myself and throw myself under the bus, for instance. (laughs) When my dad died, I was, uh, this was eight years ago, and I was a bachelor and I was using sex as a a way to, through the grieving process. Mm -hmm. So I had lots of lady friends and, you know, in retrospect, I was very open about it and everybody involved knew, but maybe it was my upbringing, maybe it's societal. It was a way to get... It was a distraction. Of course, it, I love sex. It felt good, but it um, it felt like I, I was judging myself, and I mm. certainly felt like society was judging me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was very, uh, I was grieving. I was depressed, and um, women are very compassionate people <laughs> and <laughs> shoulder shoulder to cry on. So yeah. Um, and affection, you know, that's a, obviously sex is a form of affection. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it helped me get through the process. I didn't, uh, I didn't have the same when my mom died. It was, it, it's, it's just a, it, it seemed like a borderline unhealthy type of behavior because if you are having multiple partners or girlfriends or some sort of open relationship per se, then somebody's feelings will get hurt, clearly, including your own. Well, yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah, it's interesting hearing your experience because, you know, there's some components like you were open and honest with people. You weren't kind of like hiding what was going on or that there was multiple people involved. Um, So that seems like a good sign, but it does sound like maybe, you know, there was some self-medicating there of the emotions. So like, you know, when when we're using anything, sex, food, weed, booze, to manage our emotions, it's probably never gonna feel great. You know, I think there's something that's going to feel off. Like I said, the people involved, your partner or partners, the feelings get hurt. Well, well, then then you kind of get more into like open relationship territory, that's exactly you right. know? Yeah, well, that's yeah, because then that, that's a whole other can of worms, Tom. <laughs> it's complicated, you know, and I think there's a lot of appeal to it for a lot of people. But most people that I work with in like opening their relationships you know, come into it with a set of expectations of how it's going to go. And it, you know, almost never goes that way. I'll speak for myself and myself only do what you <laughs> like. But it, uh, it was too much. It's too much. Yeah. 
And yeah, and I appreciate that, that like, yeah, do what you like, but you have to then make your own decisions and evaluate. And, you know, what I try to encourage people to do is like, just make conscious informed decisions. So like, I come in with helping to educate people about like, here's the potential risks, here's kind of the potential, you know, upsides of it. Um, Here's some ways to mitigate the risk, but just like, really knowing like you're taking a risk to your relationship, if you're going to kind of go down this path of opening things up. But at the same time, there's people who could be having a bunch of sex and maybe if they're not using it to manage emotions and they're just like, hey, this is just me and I like feel really good this way. And, you know, I'm kind of like, what if you just give yourself permission? You know, what if it's just okay to be fully you and you're honest with people and, you know. Yeah. I mean, if if you can do it without any guilt whatsoever, go for it. Right. Like I, I'm like a delicate flower emotionally, so I can't really <laughs> – can't really do too much of that because I, I, I will get hurt feelings but it's like sometimes you don't know until you until you try or and you experiment a little bit and and then you're like oh, okay cool this works for me or this doesn't work for me but you know in my perspective it's like there's nothing wrong with any of it it's inherently it's more like how do you feel yeah nobody a man or a woman shouldn't be slut shamed for mm-hmm. their sexual inclinations and, and what they're into yeah particularly i feel like in the 21st century we should all sort of embrace who we are well and I, one of the things that was almost surprising to me as i started learning more about sex was like there's actually good things about sex <laughs> you know i think like growing up yes. with sex ed it's like <laughs> don't get pregnant, don't get diseases. This is terrible. You shouldn't do this till marriage. This is the only time it's ever okay. You know, I was raised Catholic. So it was like, you know, a certain. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. I mean, <laughs> right. we don't even have time for that today, but like, nope. you know, like, so it's like all these negatives, but then to, to realize like there's oxytocin and other endorphins and it's a way to bond and connect and, you know, to be vulnerable and to have fun and to try new things and to, express yourself freely you know so there's a there's a lot of wonderful aspects too and so it makes sense that some people are just gonna make that a bigger part of their lives than others are many of your clients adhd by chance oh yeah because we, we did talk about this in our pre-call too yeah, we um i do get a lot of people and i know when we talked i told you i've been tested twice for adhd and they mm-hmm. keep telling me i don't have it and you were like really because you seem like one of us and i yeah i'm very non-linear i was told that by my boss uh years ago and yeah i think you know we all have unique special brains so i do i think i do work well with people that have ADHD and they're like, sorry, sorry, I'm all over the place. I'm like, I'm with you. I can follow. It's like, it's not, it's not an issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you do, but you do see a lot of clients that have ADHD. Yeah. And I, and a couple that are on the autism spectrum too. So I think I do well with neurodivergent types. Yeah. It's a, it's a spectrum for sure. But I told you on our initial call that I had read something that People with ADHD have high libidos. People with ADHD, they seek dopamine. And dopamine mm-hmm. is one of the things that is released. You mentioned oxytocin, but also dopamine. Yeah. Right? For sure. Yeah. I mean, because dopamines are like pleasure reward system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's also going to be related to the compulsive sexual behavior, right? So it's like any addictive behavior is going to have that dopamine element where we're, we're chasing some kind of high, we're trying to change our feelings using dopamine. So it's like our internal drugs that we're using instead of 
taking a pill or something. So, I mean, in regards to sex addiction, I think there's also, there's also a fine line. Like if you are a good, compassionate lover and, but you have sex with your partner multiple times a day, mm-hmm. isn't like, what's the problem? And you're still having a productive life. Like where it seems like such a, yeah, I don't hear a problem there. What, a blurred line, but I mean, that's what I'm talking. I'm just fascinated by sex addiction and the fact that it exists. I think the key piece you just said though, and it's not interfering with your life and you're still having a productive life. I think where it becomes a problem. And this is really like, if you look in the diagnostic manual for therapists in general, like the way that, you know, substance abuse or addictive behaviors is defined, um, or actually kind of most mental health disorders, honestly, is that it's interfering with, you know, one or two, at least key areas of your life. So if it's just like, Hey, I, you know, masturbate six times a day, but like I'm going to work and I'm not like slacking off there and I'm able to have relationships that are meaningful or, you know, friends and hobbies and whatever, then it's like, cool, great. You're finding a way to to work with your high sex drive. But if it, it could be like I'm masturbating twice a day, but mm-hmm. I'm taking a long time and I'm late for work and my spouse <laughs> is pissed at me and, you know, I'm like kind of slacking off on other things and then feeling like crap about myself because of it, then it's a problem. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, if you're staying, for instance, I've read that he has like tantric sex for seven hours with his wife. <laughs> You can write a hit song and do all that. Yeah. And have sex sex for seven hours a day <laughs> with your partner. I mean, him. I doubt he's doing this every day, but like, oh, I know. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just like the, the hyper hyperbole. Yeah. Uh, but still. I get what you're what saying though. It's kind of like where is the line? And I think for me, the line is when it starts interfering in other areas of life. Right. Yeah. If you can't if you forget to pick up your kids at school. Like, yeah, that would <laughs> <laughs> Yes, neglecting your children, not good. Do you see that? With, with, like, no, is that, I, ha- I mean, I haven't, no, I haven't worked with anyone where it's gotten to that. Well, I mean, alcoholics do that. Alcoholics neglect sure. their children. For sure. But so that's why I was asking do sex addicts neglect their children? Not the ones I've worked with. No. But I mean, also, people I'm working with, can afford to hire a therapist who's out of network and, you know, are people who are probably already into personal growth in some way. Like I'm usually not the first coach or therapist someone's been to. So I kind of wonder if it's like a little bit of a skewed population that I'm working with. Like, I wonder if you were to go to like a free 12 step program, if you'd get like a different type of sample, you know? Yeah. I mean, Tiger Woods, he, (laughs) he was Proclaimed sex addict. Yeah. Where did he get? He went somewhere, probably somewhere in Malibu or something. I can't even remember where he went. I don't know. But yeah, that seems to me like he's a famous ego got involved. Well, yes, because I think there definitely can be that piece of like seeking validation compulsively, depending on what you're doing. Like if it's just watching porn videos, you're not really being validated. But if you are interacting with someone online, if you're on a dating app, if you are speaking to like a a webcam performer like an adult cam performer then like you are being validated like you know someone's saying like hey you're cute or like hey you're looking sexy or like hey i want to be interacting with you and for sure that could be part of it and there could be you know that piece of us i think that most of us have that feels you know unlovable or unworthy or not good enough and so that that 
exiled part could be kind of running the show with the sex addiction behavior. Yeah. So you mentioned you work with couples, right? Mm -hmm. And when you work with these couples, how long do you see them? I mean, ultimately, what's your goal with couples? Yeah. I'm trying to think of some of the couples. I mean, the vast majority of couples, they're not having enough sex. And that's why they come to see me. Because, yeah, I'm like, I'm scanning through like a handful of couples in my head. And I'm like, yeah, that's it for all of them. <laughs> and how do you how do you help them fix that? Yeah. Oh, it's interesting because it's it's often complex. You know, there's often a hormonal issue. There's often an issue around, you know, we're past childbearing age. And there's some kind of like off switch almost that happens with like libido. It's like, okay, well, I th- we were taught sex was for procreation or, you know, like we're old and old people don't have sex or something. Or, you know, sometimes there's medical issues or medical trauma Sometimes there's relationship issues or like a sense of um, feeling emotionally abandoned or betrayed, um, you know, whether that's cheating or not. So, yeah, so it's kind of like this complex interwoven puzzle. This is why my job is not boring. (laughs) And so, like, I feel like I'm kind of a detective and I go in there and I ask like a million questions and really try to understand what are the different factors at play. And then we kind of you know, see like, what's something we can address? What is something that, you know, we just maybe need to accept and work around. Sometimes it's communication skills. A lot of times after people haven't been having sex for a while, then it almost becomes a thing. It becomes like the elephant in the room. So then there's also like, okay, now we're like ready to tackle this. And I'm like, okay, are you ready to be like really awkward with each other? Even though you've like been together for 20 years or something. Um, and they're like, uh, oh, this is so weird now. I'm like, I know. And you're just going to have to like be with it, like be with it. But how does, how does it get weird if they've like procreated or been married for that long? I don't understand. Well, cause maybe they haven't had sex in like three years. Oh my God. Wow. Right. And so then it gets to a point where it's like, we became roommates. I mean, that's, that's a common that's, thing with couples. Intense. Yeah. That's intense. It is intense. Yes. Because why be in a relationship if you can't have sex? <laughs> like, I don't well, get that one. <laughs> I don't see this happening to you, given the high libido that you mentioned. But, like, you know, for a lot of people, it's like they go through some things in life. And there can be some just negative associations that are like almost subconscious. And it can also be like maybe there's a medical issue that goes on for a while. And that's why I don't th- they don't have sex. But then it's kind of like hard to like get back on the horse afterwards because it's like, ooh, my body has changed. My hormones have changed. You know, like who initiates now? It's not easy like it used to be. Like, you know, everything's different now. What do we do? Well, do I mean, do you give them step up? Do you help people like <laughs> start Oh, yeah. Initiating? I get all up them? in their stuff, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, so it'll be like, okay, you know, there's something called sensate focus where you do touch exercises. So it might be like, all right, we're not going to just jump right into like intercourse on day one. But like, can you guys start being a little flirty? Can you maybe start with like giving each other a massage? Can you just like start touching more? Right. So we'll, we'll often, we'll often start with that. And then they kind of give each other some feedback or they practice touching how they want to touch the person. And then you build up from there. So then it's like, cool. All right. We're doing that. We're getting a little more just hugs and kisses, you know, in there cuddling on the couch and, you know, and then I do think people forget to flirt with each other after a long time. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's like, I've seen you every day for 20 years. Like, all right. But to kind of remember, so I'm, I'm like the little reminder person, like, hey, guys, like, what did you used to do when you were dating and you did have great chemistry? 
and you were having sex pretty easily. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, like we did kind of make more of an effort. We weren't distracted by our phones. You know, we weren't distracted by the kids. We weren't distracted by the dog, you know, and we we prioritized it and we like put some effort into our appearance and we like complimented each other and maybe like Mm -hmm. made some suggestive sexual innuendos or something and you know and built anticipation i mean anticipation is huge for sex are you coaching these people on how to bust a move (laughs) 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 i mean seriously yeah yes i'm kind of that's what i'm saying i get up all up in their relationship and so it's kind of like all right like let's figure this out because the thing is i mean people who come to me have like a good friendship with their spouse. They're kind of like, this is my life. This is my life companion. Like this is somebody who like, I care deeply about, like, I'm not looking to go start over with someone, but like some of it is like, maybe people get a little lackadaisical about maintaining their relationship. And some of it is like some shit happens to people. That's like kind of hard to get through. And and so they're kind of like, you know, we wound up in this spot, some unexpected things happen and, you know, we want to figure it out. And I get like, no one teaches anyone this stuff. <laughs> like, no, you no. know, it's like, I think we do some of it automatically when we're dating, but then it's like, you do kind of get into like, okay, well, like now I live with you. And like, we talk about like how you leave the toilet seat up and like, don't help with the dishes and like, <laughs> like really unsexy stuff. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So to that point, if you've been married for a number of years or you've had a partner for a number of years, yeah. how many times a week do you think is <laughs> healthy? So, yeah, again, I'm not a number person, but there is there is research on average, which does not mean this applies to every couple. But on average, um, once you're having sex once a week, there's no incremental benefit to having it. Look at your face. <laughs> you guys, he's shaking his head. He's shaking his head. Uh, no. So what? No. I mean, yeah, that's not good credit. <laughs> But that's my point, Tom, is like for you, that's probably not going to work. But for another couple, every other week might be just fine. So I think it's really more about tuning into like yourself and your particular relationship and what feels good, what feels like enough. And also it's like the quality. Some people might be like, okay, I could deal with once a week sex if it's like really fabulous every time and be like, really, you're having an exploratory journey. (laughs) So it's just once a week. That's what they've got in the textbooks, huh? research is showing again on average and this is why i don't love research because like all research is based on averages but the individual person has nothing to do with an average yeah i was thinking you would at least say like three to four times a week or something no wow yeah are you sure these books weren't written in the 19th century (laughs) i honestly think your perspective is so skewed just because you have like a high sex drive and an active sex life but i want the audience to understand that that's okay (laughs) like it's fantastic but I also want the audience to understand that like most of them are not going to be probably having what you have. And that, and that's okay. I'm not trying to shame anybody who's listening. I'm just saying embrace who you are. Yes. Yes. That's the message. Take what, take what, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt <laughs> because we, we are all different. Right. Right. But I mean, yes, some people are going to want sex every day or multiple times a day. And some people will be like, you know, it's just not my priority. Cause there's also people who are, you know, demisexual or asexual. That's just, True. You know, it's like that's just not what they're really even aiming for. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right about that. It's a full spectrum of interests and appetites. Totally. Regarding, regarding sex. Yeah. What are your top tips for like being a good lover to someone? Oh, that's such a good question. And I don't think anyone has asked me that. 
that I'm actually excited about this. Okay. So first of all, when you're going to be a new partner with someone, don't brag. Do not brag about how good you are. <laughs> how good you are. Don't say like, oh my God, I'm so good at blowjobs. I'm so good at going down on a woman. Or like, don't don't brag about like, oh my God, my dick is so huge. Just like never. Just never, ever, ever do that. <laughs> um, because what's going to happen is all you're doing is setting the other person up for disappointment, right? Versus if you don't say anything and you just like keep being a little flirty and whatever, and then you like surprise them with like amazing oral skills or like being well endowed or something, then like, great. Then, then they're like, wow, he's good at this and he's humble. What? Yeah, yeah. So that's honestly the best so, policy. Yeah. So that's um, so that's one tip. The other tip I would have is I think humility in general. That might it's a surprising recommendation, but that might be my recommendation like across the board. Um, because when you're bringing humility to the table, then you can just be curious. You're like, I don't have to pretend to know everything. I don't have to have it all figured out. I can just like fully explore this person um, and get to know what works for them. And along those lines, what if you just ask? What if you're just like, yeah. what is going to get you off? What does it for yeah. you? Because everyone's different, right? And the, right. Here's, a, here's a little bit of a problem, though, too. Like, I think more men could ask that, but I feel like women could also get way better at answering that. I feel like a lot of women would have a hard time answering that. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help the ladies out too, so that they can answer that better. Why do you think that's the case? Um, you know, not all women masturbate. Um, and so there's can be a lack of knowledge there. Um, I'm finding through my work that a lot of women and just people with vulvas in general are not as comfortable with their genitals and with touching themselves and with communicating about it. Um, I think just, you know, the culture we live in and the patriarchy, I think has just kind of socialized women a little bit more that way. Even, even when you talk about periods and stuff, it's like, ew, gross. There's kind of this like gross association with women and their but it's part of life like you have to accept I mean, it. you're I'm... a pretty sex positive person so like and i'm obviously with you on this but yeah. but that has been something i've heard repeatedly from many women mm -hmm. that i've worked with so i'm like okay this yeah, is I, I understand yeah but, you know like this is a thing as a male from a male's perspective yeah i want the ladies out there to know that it's part of life and that's okay oh i love you that could, you shouldn't feel insecure about that whatsoever. Thank you for saying that. Cause I think that you're really highlighting that like men are so much more appreciative of women's bodies than women are of their own bodies, you know? And I think, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, the female body is beautiful. Males. Eh, whatever. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so grateful that females have found me attractive along my, during my life. So but like, uh-uh. <laughs> yeah i love that so like ladies if you're listening you're beautiful so just embrace your body own it yeah. whatever you look like yes and that's the thing people need to realize is um every, we all like different things so mm -hmm. don't think that just because you are you know a certain size or it's just right there's there's somebody for everybody out there i promise you right I love if that. Just, that's like if you just take the leap of faith and get out there. It's that's such an important message, and um, 
you know, when I was growing up, like in college, I, I felt very insecure about my size and, you know, felt very uncomfortable with that. And I just felt like, oh, nobody would ever flirt with me. And, you know, I had this like thin blonde roommate and, you know, I felt like she would just get all the attention. I wouldn't, what I realized years later when I started like actually going on dates and stuff, I was like, oh, people do like me. And I'm like, I guess I kind of just took myself out of it. Like I just decided, I pre-decided. So for anyone else out there who's doing this, stop. <laughs> stop pre-deciding that you're not good enough or that you're not attractive or whatever, because it's not the world giving you that feedback. It's actually you in your own brain doing that. That's exactly right. And yeah. one thing everybody else needs to hear out there is size and weight is to me like currency. It fluctuates. I mean, seriously. That's a great point. Yeah. The inner beauty in someone is just as important as the outer appearance. Oh, uh, I love can, this, Tom. This is like such an important message. I feel like we should do a whole episode on body image. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, for instance, have been attracted to very intelligent women, mm -hmm. strong, powerful, intelligent women. And I have dated and been with women whose weight will fluctuate. But here's the thing. The core of that person is still there. Yeah. And I'm still attracted to that. Mm -hmm. So that's what I see in so many women in my, my personal past. And I feel like in society where they, they just, don't have enough confidence and they yeah. take themselves out of the game and don't realize how kick-ass they may be. Yes. This is such a, and also guys too. I will say like, you know, I'm, I'm a single lady, so I've been out there dating and like guys will make terrible comments about their bodies. So I don't know. I feel like unfortunately body image has become much more equal opportunity in the last decade or something, but like, you know, guys, you're great too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you see that with your male, any of your male clients where they're just oh, like yeah. not really? Like I say, it's like all humans with the body image thing. Like I feel very passionately about body image. Um, but yeah, you know, I think some guys it's like penis size. Other guys it's like they're too short or balding or like a little chubby or they don't have enough muscles or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so, yeah, I, I frequently hear men make negative comments about their body and I get, I get a little angry at like advertising industries and you know all the different things that are marketed. Yeah, they're the world quite frankly. Yeah, it's like okay, it's like we're all supposed to be There's like media too. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and that's actually one of the first things I tell people with body image. I'm like unfollow all the influencers. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, stop putting that in. It's like, we, we need to be very mindful of what we're consuming mentally. And there was a really interesting study. Actually, I have the, the book here too. So um, Emily Nagoski wrote this book, Burnout. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole chapter in there. So this is a great book for um, body image issues. There's a whole section in there called the bikini industrial complex. It's chapter five. And I, first of all, just like the whole title of that chapter that, is fantastic. That sounds fascinating. It's fascinating. But one of the things mentioned, first of all, the BMI, the body mass index, where we all think like, are we overweight or not, was made up by a group of nine people, seven of whom work for the weight loss industry. Oh my God. When, were, when was that invented or when did they come uh, up with that? I don't know. That hasn't been around my whole life, but it's probably been around 
close to half of my life. So I don't know, maybe the last 15, 20 years. The advertising and social media ruins things and social influencers and, and people need to embrace their inner strengths. And I was talking about how it, for me, weight fluctuates for sure and you need to find a connection with someone who is in tune with what you're seeking and what you what your passions are and what your groove is and also it's not all about the outside appearance because we all have some you know we're all going to get grow old and we're all going to (laughs) if we're lucky yeah and we're all going to have our weight fluctuate Mm -hmm. it's so true i was listening to uh Eckhart Tolle's podcast. I'm a little bit obsessed with him. And um, he was talking about that too, you know, just kind of like if you're really good looking or athletic or whatever, and we kind of get attached attached to that and make it our identity, it's like then we just get old and our body changes or things happen. And it's kind of like just best not to over identify anyway. So I think that's a really good point. I also think it's easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah, because we still live in the world that we live in. But I think to at least have the awareness around it and like, who do I just like really enjoy as a human is a good question to be asking ourselves. And I also think when we look at ourselves to kind of be like, especially, you know, for women, but I do think for everyone, it's like, we're not just our appearances. That's exactly right. And and what I said earlier, the fact that I'm attracted to powerful, very intelligent, independent women. I always have been. I think a lot of that had to do with the women that I was exposed to, all the badass women in my family. That's so cool. Sister, yeah, sisters, um, mother, aunts, across the board. And that's what people need to be embraced by and feel empowered by is who they truly are. And I know that's easier said than done, right? Mm -hmm. We all have our bad days and off days. I talk about this sometimes, my struggles with my mental health and depression just because maybe I've looked good on the outside <laughs> or somebody thinks that I, Oh, you look, you know, no, I may have, I may be just struggling. Yeah. Appearances only are mean so much. And, but what people need to realize is there's more to themselves than just the outside. Yeah, totally agree. And I mean, I like the idea that, you know, we're kind of like a spiritual entity having a physical experience, you know, very temporary physical experience. And it's it's cool hearing actually about like how your attraction works and the idea that it sounds like you're much more attracted to someone's energy than just their physical appearance. And I I actually think that's the case for a lot of us. You think that's the case? I mean, I hope hope you're right. I mean, I don't know. I like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's multifactorial, right? Like I like, I like a nice looking man. I'm not going to lie. But like at the same time, it's like the attractions I get really excited about. It's more of like an energetic connection and yeah, it doesn't always equate with appearance. Yeah. There's nothing, uh, there can be somebody who is so attractive sure, outside appearance, but if they lack intelligence <laughs> or depth, then they can kick rocks. Exactly. And I mean, I've had that experience too, where I'm like, I'm just like an aesthetic level. I'm like, okay, so this guy is kind of like a Greek statue. Not yeah. not hating that, but like the interaction, the engagement, the energy, it's just like, eh, it's just not doing much for me. Yeah. I can't work with that. If you don't have uh, compassion and empathy and if you're lacking 
openness to learn new things. Mm -hmm. I'm not your guy. That Yeah, that's a good point, too. It's like. And that goes with friendships, too. I mean, I, it's not just about. Now you're making me like, think, too. I mean, this is obviously the work I do as well. But, like, what if, as a society, we put as much or more effort into those inner qualities as we do into, like, looking cute and getting our hair done and, like, the right clothes and Botox? I think that a lot more people would be doing plant medicine. <laughs> I think a lot, of pe a lot of people would be into self-exploration and improving certain aspects besides just the physical. Yeah. And we would be have in less wars and less polarization. I'm just baffled by how the world is right now. It's pretty crazy. Not disagreeing with you. And, you know, and that's something my clients have been talking about, too. Just it's kind of a crazy place to be right now. Do you think that that's affected sexuality in any way? I haven't seen that hugely. I, I have one client that I see more so for depression. That was funny. He found me and I'm like, you know, I'm a sex therapist, right? <laughs> you, you were like, oh no, I didn't. I just like saw you had good reviews on ZocDoc or something, and I was like, "Really? Okay. Are you serious? <laughs> you didn't even like uh, read he, the bio. Is he still? Is he singing still? <laughs> Are you still? Yeah, we have a great relationship, and I kind of feel like the universe like wanted me to work with him. <laughs> so yeah. And, anyways, but we had a really deep discussion about like everything going on in the world this week, and um, and I do think it just points to the need for some kind of you know spiritual community and like spiritual connection and talking about you know spirituality in the bigger picture because i do think it's prompting some of those questions of like you know what is the purpose of life and what you know what do we do when there's you know war and unpopular political decisions and things that are out of our immediate control and you know the economy issues and polarization it's like it's kind of like damn that gets like real heavy when you start thinking about it we just came out of a pandemic kind of sort of you know it's just like there's a part of me that's like for fuck's sake can like <laughs> like can we be can we just get a breather can we have a breather for like give us a couple years of a breather so we all can like recover and regroup but i'm also like incredibly inspired by how resilient humans are like it's one of my favorite parts of absolutely. my work. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You just mentioned spirituality. Let's talk about uh, religion. Mm, okay. How does that affect you think your clients or people that you've encountered yeah, in, <laughs> in society's uh, sexuality? I guess I'll you know just speak with about my clients. I do think the the sexual compulsivity and addiction stuff that we talked about at the beginning, there is often a component of like more of a conservative religious upbringing. And so there's kind of this idea of like, I shouldn't be this sexual, I shouldn't be having these thoughts where there's like this internal battleground, but like, but at the same time, I really, really want this. Um, so it's like this inner conflict that people can kind of get sucked into. Um, the other really interesting group of people that I see is people who were raised like very conservative, like strict religious, like people get married very young, you know, don't have sex till they get married. Women kind of wear dresses and have to be like more covered up and stuff. And then those people I feel like get to their thirties, maybe like mid thirties ish. And then they're like, we're going to become swingers now. <laughs> <laughs> right. there's a whole i'm like wow i'm starting to notice a strong trend 
that, you know, a lot of people opening things up are people who are still pretty young, but like have been together a long time and had that really strict upbringing and are kind of like, almost like we skipped a stage or something. Like we didn't really get to date around. We didn't really get to like be awkward adolescents fumbling around sexually and like having some different experiences. And so I think they get to a point sometimes where they're like, Hey, I actually really love my partner. We have a great connection, but like, I do want to explore. I do want to figure out some more stuff about myself. You know, I do want to see what I really like and I'm not sure I want to be monogamous. So that's another category of people that I wind up seeing that religion is a big impact. Yeah. And do you, so do you see a lot of people who are into open relationships or polygamy or or whatever, paramour? (laughs) Polyamory. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think my jam is kind of like sexual diversity. So it's like, I want people to be themselves. And I think anyone who maybe doesn't fit the mainstream of kind of like, you know, heterosexual, cisgender, you know, vanilla monogamy, you know, it's like, I'm like, okay, cool, come come to me. You're my people. (laughs) So, you know, I get, I get a lot of that because I think people who do fit that probably don't often need a sex therapist quite as often. I mean, certainly the libido issues is is kind of a common mainstream issue, but yeah, I think it's important that people just are who they are. That's, I mean, that's my main mission is like, let's get rid of the shame and stigma and just like have more freedom and people be more authentic. And that doesn't mean everyone's going to be like wild and crazy, but it does mean people are going to be censoring themselves less and and holding back less. Do you think that religion has skewed people's sexuality for? I mean, hundred percent. I mean, I would love to tell you it has not affected me at all, but you know, I was raised Catholic. Um, I, I then converted to Buddhism and then both Buddhist places I went to had sex scandals. So then I left those. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Still love Buddhism, but yeah, not into the sex scandals so much. Sex scandals? What kind of sex scandals? Oh my scandal? gosh. Um, so yeah, I went to Shambhala for a while and this was pretty well publicized. I don't think I'm like really saying anything people don't can't find online, but there was a, if people want to like really read about it, they can go to Buddhist Project Sunshine. Uh, just Google that. But yeah, the leader of the organization was accused of uh, sexual misconduct and kind of abusing his position of power. And you hear a lot about that in like Tantra communities too. And Uh, maybe even some yoga communities. But, you know, it's unfortunate. And, you know, Shambhala had kind of a hierarchical structure where, you know, there's a leader and then there's, you know, two levels of senior teachers that are appointed by the leader. And then there's also kind of like a religious component that, you know, I didn't get to this piece. So excuse me if I kind of like butcher the process, but there's, there's kind of some kind of commitment ceremony where you're like um, devoting yourself to the head of the organization. That sounds like a cult to me. Uh huh. And, so, <laughs> <laughs> and so when the sex scandal came up, you know, I stuck around for a little bit because I'm like, okay, Heather, don't just cut and run the second there's an issue. Let's, you know, try to be part of the solution and the healing. And, you know, I stuck around maybe for a year and I was like, you know, I just think the hierarchical structure, the lack of transparency, exactly. the pledging, the devotion pledging the devotion to the leader. I'm like, this stuff is just, they're not changing it at the root and the core. And so I feel like there's like a sick core in my opinion. And so I, you know, I had to leave at that point. Where was this exactly? It's Shambhala International. I was in Chicago at the time. There's like 200 locations internationally though. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And then there was a smaller Zen center also in Chicago that had some sexual misconduct accusations. And that's where I had started with Buddhism and had gone there for like nine years. So yeah, I didn't see that one coming. No. Buddhism is, Buddhism is great. Buddhism is great. And the teachings are, and that doesn't change. The yeah. teachings are great in so many ways, but like, I think it's just pointing to like humans, humans in positions of that's power, exactly right. you know, it's like, these are things that happen. And also be, I'm much more mindful now of the structure of any organization that I participate in and, you know, careful about hierarchies and is there is there anything on the website even about like here's how we handle complaints or misconduct or you know to make people feel safer so anyways i encourage people to look for that but but yeah religion is like you know i'd like to think that like i could just be wild and free and not have any second thoughts but like i also think having the second thoughts about sexuality whether it's how often we're sexual how many people we're sexual with what we're into sexually is kind of where the growth is too you know yeah. So it's like a lot of unlearning opportunities. Yeah, because I feel the structure and th what we're taught from religion doesn't really coincide with sex per se. <laughs> I mean, not most religions. Buddhism was much cooler about sex than than Catholicism was, and and the message I got was more like it was a little bit more heart centered. It was a little bit more like, hey, this is an energy exchange. Kind of like be mindful about that, maybe. But it wasn't like don't have sex or wait till marriage or don't be gay or like none of that, you know. So I think there was a lot less dysfunction, in my opinion, um, in Buddhism in that way. <laughs> Certainly still other issues. But yeah, I think some of the Catholicism stuff, you know, is probably there in the background for me. And, you know, I waited longer to have sex, I think, because they, they got to me <laughs> a little bit. That's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. So, but then it's, you know, it's brought me to this journey, which is good. We were talking about earlier, uh, the top tips for being a good lover, but what about the best things an individual can do holistically to become a better lover? Oh yeah, I'm glad you brought it back to that question. Cause I actually wanted to add the body image thing to that. One yeah. other thing I think you can do to be a good lover is don't make negative comments about your body because it's, you know, it's vulnerable. Like, especially, you know, people take their clothes off and they're like, Oh, my stomach. Oh, I used to be fitter. Oh, I should get back to the gym. Oh, but you know, I have this weird bump on my skin, you know? So I think when we're doing that, just realizing like, okay, you're kind of just, just let your partner enjoy you. You know, so just, just let them enjoy you, <laughs> yeah. you know, just realize like this other person is here to enjoy you. And actually when we make those comments, we're actually kind of reducing both people's pleasure, assuming there's only two, there might be more than two. True. But yeah, so I think that would be a comment with the body image and then, sorry, say your question again about it was sex tips, but something else. Yeah, I was saying, what are the best holistic things holistic an individual thing. can do to become a, a better lover? Oh, I mean, confidence is huge. So huge, right. right? I mean, not to be underestimated. That's correlated with what you're just saying, because there's nothing worse than when somebody would say something like that, because you're already there. Like, you're already I know, there. you're like, I already opted into this, so. I, I'm already attracted <laughs> to you. Why are you shooting yourself down yes, like that? Yes, exactly. Because I know when people oh. say that and, you know, around me, I'm kind of like, okay, you're just kind of taking away my enjoyment. Like, I just want to think you're hot. Yeah, the thunder's out the window. Exactly. So that's something to be aware of. And um, I think working on the confidence, you know, and that could take time and being patient with yourself. 
Um, also educating yourself about sex and like, hey, what are some techniques to try? Or, you know, even the idea that like the, the clitoris is not just the little nubby head thing that we think about, but it actually runs all throughout the vulva. And it's like, oh, cool. So I can be like stimulating the whole vulva and not just the little head. And like, that might be a good thing to do. So I think just education, practice, trying things. I think that most of us censor ourselves so much. And I think think we have this like innate curiosity that's part of our higher consciousness and I kind of think like what if we don't censor that like what if we just follow our curiosity when we're being sexual with somebody and like try stuff and kind of give ourselves permission for like it doesn't all have to work out it doesn't all have to be like a home run but you know I tell couples I'm like what if you try 20 new things and 10 of them work really well that would be awesome thank you you know if you have a 500 batting average in baseball, you're a badass. Right? And then that, that <laughs> couple then has expanded their repertoire. So instead of maybe the oh, 10 they man. originally have, now they've doubled and they have 20 things that are hot in the bedroom. Whereas the other couple that doesn't try anything is just stuck, you know, with their same yeah. little repertoire. So I think like creating a safe space with each other to be able to try some things and not have it all work and, and yeah. know that that's, that's cool and okay. And you can have fun experimenting. And be open with it. Mm -hmm. Back to the female body you were mentioning, but what you said some women don't masturbate. Isn't there a small percentage of women who can't have an orgasm? Huh. I thought I read that somewhere. I mean, I'm sure there's some like medical anomalies or something where someone can't have an orgasm, but otherwise I don't think there's like any actual limitation. I think it's probably more mental limitations. To be honest, I think it's like learning, yeah. learning to relax, learning to let go. And, you know, I'm a type A person. And I think that, you know, a lot of us type A people are like, relaxation, what? Yeah. <laughs> how do I do that? That's actually another holistic tip is like, learn how to relax, like do some restorative yoga, do some breathing, you know, do some meditation, get a massage, give each other a massage, you know, mm -hmm. but maybe find a way to kind of get out of that fight, flight, freeze mode and into yeah. rest, digest, sex mode. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. No, that's a huge one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a big one for everybody. And it's, it's uh, kind of good foreplay. It's like, okay, if you're not in the mood a lot or if you're working on libido issues, like start with relaxing. Yeah. Um, and I've had somebody else on the show where touch, feel, just like being next to your partner, that helps. I know. <laughs> I love that. Like, yeah, just like cuddling, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I feel like there's a large amount of people who are just so disengaged because they don't understand that touch is really important. It's so important. And I mean, yeah, I think we all need to do more of it consensually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that should be obvious, but it, it is worth stating. What about books are there any books out there that are great that my listeners might be interested in reading that you suggest yeah so the one i mentioned earlier is a burnout by um emily nagoski and amelia nagoski they are identical twin sisters which is super fun um wow. i have an autographed copy don't be jealous um, <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> but that one's great and then so emily's a sex educator and she also wrote one called Come As You Are, um, which I think is a great one for everybody. It's got some anatomy info. It's got some libido info. Talks a lot about the context around sex and the idea that, you know, one sexual encounter ends and the, the flirting and foreplay for the next one can begin, right? 
So mm-hmm. how to like create that context. Love that book. Anyone who's exploring non-monogamy, I think The Ethical Slut is super fun. I love how provocative the title is. <laughs> what's, it, what's it called? The Ethical Slut. Okay. That's a good one. I used to keep that, like the the spine of it is like pretty large font. So you can like read it across the room. <laughs> so I used to keep that one like pretty prominently in my office just to kind of be like, you can talk about sex in this office. It's okay. Um, yeah, so I yeah. almost had the book as like advertising. And then one of the things I work with people a lot on, and this is kind of a holistic sex tip too, is attachment. So the more you can feel a sense of secure attachment in yourself instead of outsourcing your sense of security um, emotionally to your partner, the better. And actually that is correlated with better orgasms too, which I think Emily Nagoski mentions in Come As You Are. Um, So I will also mention the attached book. So this is by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. It's a great starting point. I will add that the book focuses mostly on finding a securely attached partner to work on your attachment. And I find that a little bit disempowering. Um, I think there's a lot you can do individually. Um, I think that's where a good therapist or coach can come in. But yeah, that's that's a big one. And I think the longer I've worked in mental health and in relationships and sexuality, the more I kind of feel like attachment and like attachment trauma and relational trauma and all of that is underlying most issues that I help people with. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that for sure. Yeah. Being a huge correlation. For sure. What about if listeners, do you do virtual? Oh yeah. My whole business is virtual. Yeah. Yeah. There is no physical office anymore. I'm a free agent. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, of course, I'll share your information and everything Thanks. on the show notes and so forth. Are you doing anything else besides your practice? Are you working on anything you'd like to share? No, I mean, the practice is really the the main, okay. <laughs> the main thing. Um, I always have. You There's know, a cat. <laughs> yeah, my cat wanted to say hello and goodbye. Um, yeah, I uh, people can find me at my website. You know, I do have some freebies. One of my guides is called Mojo Magic. And that is, you know, the libido issue is one of the main things I'm seeing people for. It's just super common. And people just often don't know, like, why did my libido go away? Like, how do I get it back? And really, before becoming a sex therapist, I had no idea how to answer that either. (laughs) Because again, who the heck is teaching us these things? So yeah, so it's like an eight pager. And it's, you know, Cute graphics, easy to read. So people can check that out if they are wanting to, you know, reconnect with their partner or just kind of feel in touch with their own sexual energy and, you know, not just kind of kick the can down the road, but like, you know, start connecting with people now. Okay, good. Well, listen, I have, I've had a lot of fun. This is, I feel like I talk about this for another four hours. (laughs) Going, make it a, like Joe Rogan long five-hour epic episode. Yeah. But I'm not going to do yeah. that. Heather, thank you so much for your time. It's been a blast. Yeah, thanks, Tom, and thank you to all the listeners for joining us too. Okay, take care. I want to thank all of my listeners out there for your support, and I hope you have thoroughly enjoyed listening to this playful and provocative conversation that I've had with my new friend Heather Shannon. Also, I'm excited to share that Neurons to Nirvana has officially reached over 100,000 downloads. I want to know who is out there and would love your feedback. Please go to the show notes for a link to a short survey for an opportunity to sign up for my email newsletter. As always, until next time, 
I am Tom Hartridge, and this is Neurons to Nirvana. Nirvana.